Man, I'm doing 45 minutes this morning. She said, I got the keys, I'm leaving. So uh, y'all can thank her, it won't be 45 minutes, but uh, it is good to be here. I invite you to be turning to Judges chapter 6. I want to ask you, do you know anyone by the name of Gideon? I asked Wendy this morning, I said, I don't know that I know of anyone by the name of Gideon, and she could not think of anyone either, but this is an individual that we have here in our Old Testaments, and he is a study in contrast. He is a man who leads a handful of warriors against a large and mighty army, and he wins. Now, if you're not familiar, it's because God is on his side. However, what we learn of Gideon is that he is a man that is filled with doubt or doubts. He is a man that is filled with fears. He is a man that has far more questions than he does answers. Does that describe any of us this morning? As a matter of fact, why are we here this morning? It's easy to say, well, it's to worship God, and that's the right thing to say, is to worship God Almighty. I know we have visitors with us this morning. We're grateful for your presence. It is my desire to preach the word of God that you would be convicted by it, as we all would, to make ourselves better for his service. So Gideon is called to be a judge during a time of intense trouble in Israel. Things are not going well at all as a nation. They are suffering at the grip of the Midianite oppression. In other words, their slaves... And this land or their land was stripped. Their homes were devastated. Their villages were destroyed. Their lives are endangered. You can imagine being oppressed by someone mightier who does not respect you. In Judges chapter 6 and verse 6, their condition is summed up and it says that they were impoverished. Literally in our language today, we would say that these people were at the end of their rope. Have you ever been there? Maybe children are disobeying a little bit and these bills are due and things didn't go well at work and perhaps your allergies are bothering you. You're just at the end of your rope. Imagine being at the end of your rope with things that are beyond your control, such as being oppressed by the enemy. Israel had counted God out, but in verses 7 through 10 of Judges 6, God has a message for them. And the message is this, that he sent, he's going to send them a prophet to remind him of his grace. Brethren and friends, we need to be reminded often of God's grace and the sacrifice that he has made for us. And he's going to call them to repentance. And before this lesson is over this morning, I encourage you that if the words of the Bible, not this preacher... But if the words of the Bible convict your heart this morning, you need to repent. You need to change if you find yourself in sin. Nothing to be ashamed in the terms of pressure of what we might think about you. But we are here to help one another get to heaven. So, in Judges chapter 6, not only does God have a message, but he has a person. Do you know who that person is? You know it. Gideon. Well, wait a minute. Didn't you say a while ago this man has doubt and he has fears and he has quite Gideon. Gideon is the one that takes a small army and destroys a large army. But how did he get there? So Gideon does not look like he has much to offer. What could this person possibly do, especially at the time that he is called by God? As a matter of fact, Gideon's name means he who cuts 
down. And so let's get into the text this morning. As we do, I see a little bit of Gideon in me or vice versa. Perhaps you will yourself as well. So we're going to look at the circumstances. We're going to look at the commission. We'll then look at the confusion. And then we'll conclude this morning with the confirmation. So in Judges chapter 6, verse 11, the circumstances. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was an Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Aber. I pronounced this the whole way here this morning. And Wendy said, you're still not going to get it right. So I still blame her, but uh, no. Anyway, so we have Joash, the way my Bible says, Abizarite, and his son Gideon, threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. A little bit about this circumstance. Number one, it is a time of poverty. Israel does not have a lot. As verses four through six indicate, they have lost everything. And the Bible makes that clear. Evidently, Gideon was able to come across some wheat, and he's were at behind the wine press doing what? Threshing it. Now, grain often would be poured on the ground, and oxen would pull a threshing sled over it. What is the significance? It shows just how little. The fact that he is threshing grain by hand indicates that he has very little to work with. I don't know that I've had that bad a day in my life. Oh, I've been hungry at times, but it's because I forgot my lunch. But I don't know that I've ever been to the point of starvation, where I'm going to wake up tomorrow and not know if I even have food to eat. Don't know if it was that severe here, but there is something significant going on. It was also a time of persecution as we set up this setting. Gideon was hiding because he knew that the Midianites would take the grain. That's the way you control people. You take their food away. It doesn't always have to be by sword. Gideon and his people were suffering intense persecution. I want to continue stressing that here this morning. And then number three, absolutely no power. It's seen in the fact that where is Gideon? He's hiding. He's hiding from the enemy. He is just as defeated and frightened as the nation itself. It is a difficult time for the people of God. Perhaps not in like manner or like degree, but we are living in some difficult times. What might be some examples? It is a discouragement to try and get Christian brothers and sisters together to even worship God. Because sometimes family gets in the way, or parties get in the way, or the weather is just not right. You ever heard a preacher say this before? What if we changed it? If you come to worship services, you will get $2,000. You think the parties or the weather or the family would be getting in the way? Do not believe so. We are living in time where there's economic uncertainty. What's it going to be like for our children and our grandchildren in this world? We're living in a time where government and society are growing more and more hostile to the words, the things that we believe, towards the things that we cherish, towards the things that uh, we, we deeply will give our lives for. And we don't know what's going to happen. In some ways, we are living through times that strongly resemble the days of Gideon. It is a time of persecution. Brethren, our circumstances here on earth have never been guaranteed to be a, what do they say, a rose garden. 
It's always going to be a utopia or something where there's always tranquil peace. Matter of fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Not that he was trying to create that friction, but not all gladly receive the truth. And verse 12, we see his commission. So let's read that again. Uh, I mean, not again, together. Judges 6 and verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee. Look what he says there. Thou mighty man of valor. If you know anything about this account, you know that that doesn't seem to add up. Where is he? Hiding from the Midianites because of oppression. Has some grain in his hand. And then we're going to see what happens here in just a moment. But while Gideon is hiding from the enemy, God knew exactly where he was. The verse says, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him. Now, this is no ordinary angel because look down in verse 13. And we have a little bit more description. The angel is called, what? Lord. When the Lord speaks to Gideon, he comes with words of hope and assurance. My friends, brethren, we cannot hide from God Almighty. We have too many examples in the Bible of folks that have tried that. And it has not worked out for them. Notice we have God's promise. This angel of the Lord appears and he says what? The Lord is with thee. Now you think about that for just a moment. Sorry, I think Jesse was supposed to read scripture and I just now realized that. He's sitting next to my wife. I apologize. I got excited. I was ready to preach. I needed a few more minutes. I apologize. Ah, All right, back on track here. (laughs) The angel of the Lord, the Lord is with thee, a theophany. And really, as this appearance of God in visible form to man, we could move it over to a Christophany. As it is one of the many occasions in the Old Testament where Jesus appears to individuals before he is physically born in Bethlehem. The Midianites did not know where Gideon was, But the Lord did. Brethren, friends, this should comfort our hearts. It should comfort our minds. Give us great hope. We have a promise. Hebrews 13 and verse 5, the writer says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That is God's promise to us. You feel like you're at the end of your rope? You feel like no one cares? A brother or sister has done something that rubbed you the wrong way? Things are not going well? The Lord cares. That is his promise to us. In Matthew 28 and verse 20, he has just given the great commission, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. God is with his faithful through every valley and over every mountain. Do you believe that this morning? So that God is first and foremost in your lives. When the Lord says the Lord is with thee to Gideon, he literally means that his power is on him. Gideon could not see it. He could not sense it. He's trying to understand. Surely he didn't know what it looked like. He's hiding right now. But he was about to be used of the Lord in a most powerful, powerful way. Matter of fact, we are here today because of what Gideon is going to do back then. We have a risen Savior. Brethren, if we ever grasp the truth that we are led by God, it would change the way we think. It would change the way we speak. It would change the way we live. It would change the way that we treat one another. 
Now you say, well, preacher, I didn't come to get my toes stepped on this morning. Well, I promise you, I didn't wake up with that goal this morning. But if it's piercing, let it be God's word. Let's keep going here. God's perception. So we're looking at his commission. We have a promise, now his perception. The Lord says something truly amazing. Have you ever thought if God was going to say one phrase about you, what would it be? Now let's change it. If God was going to say one phrase that you would like said about you, what would it be? Look what he says about Gideon. A mighty man of valor. Here is one so afraid of the enemy that he's hiding behind the wine press threshing wheat. He is full of fear. But God, the Lord sees something in Gideon. The phrase, a man who is charging right in the face of the enemy. That's what this man of valor, mighty man of valor means. Charging right into the face of the enemy. Head on. No flanking, no sneaking up behind, going full force ahead. Do you know this morning, do I know this morning that God knows us? Well, yeah, of course, of course we do, Matt. But what, what does that mean that God knows us? He knows us far better than we know ourselves. Psalm 139 brings this out. And Hebrews 4 and verse 13, not the whole verse, but it says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest or made known in his sight. If you are like me, you struggle with this sometimes. You look at yourself, you look at your life, and you see mistakes. You see failures. You see problems. One of my biggest concerns is my boys. It always has been since Jacob, my oldest, our oldest was first born. That they would stay faithful to God. And then rearing them, I realize, man, I've made some mistakes. As a parent, have you ever thought, can I go back and do that over again? Can I go back and reword that? Can I go back and change my attitude here? We all have struggles. What about with our spouses? Said something we shouldn't or said maybe should be saying things that we're not. You see a person who fails to live up to God's high, uh, calling. You see a person who, who loses far more than he wins. Does that describe anyone here this morning and what you're dealing with? You see a person who from all appearances is always coming up short. What does God see? When Jesse looked at David, he saw his youngest son, a mere boy not worthy to be called to a family meeting with Samuel. When God looked at David, he saw a king, 1 Samuel 16 and verse 12. Keeping going, continuing onward then, the best thing that each of us can do as individuals is to take our lives with all its problems, with all the dirty clothes, with all its failures, with all its shortcomings, and place them in the hand of God. Well, of course, it's easy to say. It's easy to preach. But are we living it? Are we applying it in our lives? He is able to take us like we are and transform us into what he wants us to be. I don't know how many times the students have already heard that. God is asking that he takes you wherever you're at, in your life and listen to his word and submission and obey it and he will take you where he wants you to be for his glory for his cause well we continue on this morning 
And look at verses 13 and 16. And as you're moving your eyes there, you think of Saul of Tarsus. He took him where he was and brought him to where he needed him to be. You think of Simon Peter. And you took Peter where he was and brought him where he needed to be. Now you put your name in there. Are you willing to let God take you where you're at and lead you to where you need to be in service to him? 13 through 16, we have the confusion. Let's read that together there. Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told of us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Pause there for just a moment. When Gideon hears the word of the Lord, he is amazed by what he hears. You talking to me, God? It must be some other Gideon down the road. I don't know how it all went about. But he cannot see how the Lord is possibly going to be using him. So he reacts to the Lord by questioning. Have you ever questioned God? Why me, Lord? And verse 13 that we just read, the first part, look at Gideon questioning his presence. Gideon wants to know where the proof of God's presence can be found. That if God was really with his people, shouldn't they be experiencing victory instead of defeat? The second one is seen in the uh, second half of verse 13. The performance. Gideon wants to know where all the miracles have gone. It had been 250 years since Israel had been delivered from Egypt. It had been approximately 200 years since the Jordan River was parted and they crossed over on dry ground. And Gideon wants to know, God, where are you? Where is that person who did those miracles back then? So that when we get to verses 14 and 15, he's still not done. You're thinking, ooh, Gideon is a brave man all of a sudden. Is he? Or is he filled with doubt? And fear, and he's not sure what to do, the uncertainty. Because in verse 14, the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. God, do you see things like I'm seeing it? Do you perceive it the same way? And so when the Lord hears Gideon's questions, he responds by telling Gideon, Gideon, you are going to save Israel. God has sent him and he will be successful. You are going to defeat the enemies. What happens this morning when the Bible says that we can defeat the devil? That victory is ours. That for by hope are we saved. And one day we shall be with God Almighty in heaven. Gideon's response is to question the Lord's omniscience here. He tells the Lord he can't be right for two reasons. Look at it. Number one, that his father's house is poor, so they're not going to follow him. They don't follow the people that don't have money. And number two, that no one in his father's house respects him. We will learn in verse 25, not this morning, I just mentioned it this morning, that Gideon's father was an idolater. And it could be that Gideon was not respected in his house, wanting to follow God and his family following false gods. We don't know that with absolute certainty, but Gideon is not in the place where it should be in a family relationship. And a lot of us may be 
just like Gideon, not in terms of the family I'm discussing now, but we know that God wants us to serve him. Even if you're not a Christian in this building this morning, know assuredly that there is the God of creation, the God of heaven. There is only one God. And you, by being here, probably believe that. So what is the point then? (coughs) We know that God wants us to serve him. We might even understand that he wants us to be used for his glory, his honor. But we are so filled with fear, uncertainty. We are filled with doubt, our own sense of inability that we refuse to trust in God. God, I can't teach a lost soul. I don't know what to say. What if they ask me a question and I don't know the answer to it? Do you realize when you made that covenant relationship with God by becoming a child of his, that you agreed to teach the gospel? You say, oh, I know. So let me ask you this. Would our heavenly father ask us to do something that he does not believe we can do? God never asks us to do something that is beyond our ability. And a lot of us are like Gideon. Gideon did exactly what Moses did. When God came calling for him in the burning bush, what did they do? Both came up with excuses, did they not? They came up as to why they could not do what God said to do. Brothers, it's still happening today. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. What do I do, Father? Repent and be baptized. I don't know about that baptism. That's something them Church of Christers teach, and it's a work, I've been told. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Not the smartest cookie, the sharpest knife, the lights are not always on or on, whatever those phrases are. But I don't believe it takes a rocket scientist to understand what God is demanding of us. Moses, Gideon, they felt like the job was over their head. They felt like they were inadequate to the task at hand. Have you ever felt that way? You ever have an elder of the eldership come up to you and say, hey, I want you to do this. I'm going to be gone a lot that time. Whatever we can say or do to get out of it as fast as we can. We do the same things. The real problem with Gideon, the problem with Moses, the problem with us is, brethren, we're focusing on what we are and not who he is. That's an important lesson. We need to focus on who he is. Without God, yes, we are weak. Without God, we are failures. Without God, we are going to be scared. But with him, we are mighty through the God to the pulling down of strongholds. We are mighty people of valor. Bring the enemy on. Does that describe your life here this morning? Gideon isn't there yet. I know us or myself, you, yourself, we can do nothing of ourselves. But do you believe that God can use you? I keep asking that because it's easy to say, of course, but is that how we live our lives? Gideon's not there. He's making excuses. Kind of sounds like us. And at one time, you know, I was going to write down every excuse that I've ever heard in the Lord's church about why something can't be done. Maybe it's teaching, maybe it's attending services, maybe it's evangelizing, maybe it's some work around the building. And I realized, you know, I'm going to make a book. But then I thought I probably couldn't afford the paper. 
by the time I was done. We're masters at that because we fail to focus on him. What do we do? Oh, I can do this myself. And we continue to do it ourselves till it's beyond our control. And then we say, what am I going to do? Maybe you've been there in your life. You start fervently praying, get a little more serious about it. Maybe get a little more spiritual. Gideon's excuses are twofold. Do you notice in these verses, he tells God that number one, he did not have fortune. My father's house is poor. And that he did not have faith. That they do not respect him. He tells them that he cannot afford to do the Lord's work and nobody knows him. They're not going to listen to me. God specializes in using those who can't to accomplish his work. Students are going to laugh at me, not just here at the school, but everywhere. But I remember this a long time ago. Can't never could do nothing. It's the only time that's allowed to be spoken like that. Can't, never could do nothing. Look at the evidence in our Bibles. You ready for this? He used Abraham, a pagan from Ur, to be the father of the faithful. He used Jacob, a liar, to be the father of the nation of Israel. He used Joseph, a slave, to save the world. He used Moses, a shepherd and a murderer, to deliver his people. He used Jephthah, a prostitute, to deliver Israel. He used an unnamed servant girl to tell Naaman about God. He used Esther, a slave, to deliver Israel. Matthew, a tax collector, to write about Jesus, king of the Jews. He used Saul of Tarsus to write over one half of the New Testament. Don't tell me that can't is an option. Brethren and friends, it is not in God's dictionary. Israel was crying out for a deliverer in verse 7, and God's answer is Gideon. And so I challenge each of us, and I begin first with myself, that we not make excuse about why we can't when God wants us to. When God says that we can and just get about doing it. What do I mean? There are some here that should be preaching. Get at it. There are some here that should be teaching Sunday school. Get at it. There are some here that should be singing. Get at it. There are some here that should be serving in the church. Get at it. There are some here that need to obey the gospel. It's time. There are others that should be telling the world about Jesus. Get at it. Finally, this morning, we see the confirmation. Look with me beginning at verse 16. He says, and the Lord said unto him, surely I will be with thee and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. Notice that this morning. The Lord said, surely I will be with thee. Can you think of any greater words of comfort than those right now offered to a man who is doubting? Offered to a man who has some questions? Offered to a man who is scared? I will be with thee. The Lord reaffirms his call of Gideon. He tells Gideon that he'll be able to destroy the Midianites. But brethren, Gideon is still not ready. You ever wonder, man, does this man not get it? I'm reading it here on the pages in my Bible. What's he missing? Are we not like Gideon? Because let's keep going here. 
And so in verse 17, he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talk with me. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee, and bring forth my present, and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry until you come again. So in verse 19, Gideon went in, made ready a kid, unleavened cakes of an ephah of flour, the flesh he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot, brought it out under the oak, and presented it. And the angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes, lay them upon this rock, and pour out the broth. He did so. And so in verse 21, the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and unleavened cake. Why does the Bible go into detail here about this staff and touching it and what happens? There rose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and unleavened cake. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Gideon was perceived that he was an angel of the Lord. Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee. Fear not, thou shalt not die. Do you see anything there in verse 23? Thou shalt not die. Putting to rest concerns of Gideon. So in verse 24, Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord, called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet an Ophrah of the Abizarites. In verses 18 through 21, Gideon is still not ready. He says, God, let's put on a show, a presentation. Gideon wants to make an offering to the Lord. That word present, that's what it means. And the Lord promises to wait. Now, where did we begin this morning? This fellow had a little bit of wheat in his hands behind a wine press. Do you see the transformation that's taking place? And I hope this is what we all get this evening, uh, this morning. There has to be a change in our lives. And I don't mean, well, I'll read one extra verse tomorrow. Or maybe I'll start trying this week to do some daily Bible reading. Because in verses uh, uh, 18 through 21, he prepares a goat. He makes cakes that is approximately 35 pounds of flour and a pot of broth. Now, let me ask you, is this a sacrificial offering from this man? You better believe it. When you're being oppressed like they were and the people are hungry and the family's living in poverty, this is a sacrificial offering. And so we begin to see this transformation taking place in Gideon. And it's amazing. When the angel found him, he was hiding, trying to protect some grain, and now he's willing to yield everything. What did we just read? Gideon gets it, puts it on a rock. The Lord touches it with the end of his staff. Fire reaches out. What is significant about the staff in working this miracle? Well, we know that it was an instrument used by shepherds for what? Comfort, control, protection, leading the sheep. What was Gideon's problems in the beginning of this story? Fear, doubt, question, uncertainty. The shepherd, the staff, comfort, control, protection, leadership. Doesn't that sound like the answers to the problems and the woes in this man's life? Isn't it amazing how the scripture works to teach us, to convince our hearts, our minds today, that God truly is an amazing and awesome God. The Lord is telling Gideon that he's going to be these things. It's a way of teaching him, Gideon, you don't have to fear. 
And brethren and friends, it's the same message today. When God is in control and we have sacrificed to him, there is no man, there is nothing that we need to fear. If you want to be used of God, then you present yourself. Stop pretending. Stop playing the actor. And God will use us. God is interested in us. It's seen in the deliverance of his only begotten son. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Recognize his will, which there the Bible says is good, acceptable, which is holy. And 22 through 24, as we read, a promise. Gideon now recognizes just who he is dealing with. This morning, do you know who you are dealing with? God is not just a part of our schedule. He is our life. And when Gideon finds this out, he's filled out, filled with fear and cries out to the Lord. And God reassures him by speaking peace. He promises Gideon that he's not going to die. And he builds an altar and worships God Almighty. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. So this morning, where does this concerned man, where does this worried man find peace and joy? According to the Bible here, he finds it, number one, in submitting to God, and number two, worshiping God Almighty. If you want the answers to this life, to allay or put away doubt and fear and uncertainty, bend your will to the will of God. Not bend your will according to your definition to the will of God. Lay aside all pride and come before God Almighty. Can we see the power of this lesson? Brethren and friends, it is still working today. If you want to have sleepless nights and dreary days, then refuse to do even this very hour what God would have you to do. But if you want peace and joy and true happiness, you find it by submitting your life to the will of God. And so as we close this morning, Looking from the outside in at this man in this part of history, it doesn't look like Gideon is going to work out, does it? He's fearful. He's timid. He's filled with self-doubt. He has more questions, as I've already said, than he does answers. But Gideon is being brought to a place of service. God is willing to take someone like Gideon and shape him into what he wants him to be. And so what about you? What about me? Are we doing what God wants us to do? Are you content this morning that soon as the last amen is said to depart this building and see you Wednesday and let other people do the work? Are you fearful? Are you holding back? Maybe you're a Gideon or a Moses this morning making excuses as to why you can't. Is today the day when you will throw up the flag of surrender? And obey God to do his perfect will. This morning, are you saved? Are you in a right relationship with God Almighty? Have you come into contact with the blood of Jesus Christ? So that you could become or be a child of God. Today would be a great day to obey God if you are not a Christian. And we would love to help you with that. We will study with you and show you what God would have you to do. I invite you, I invite all. That if you need the prayers of the church, if we can encourage you anyway, be obedient to God and come now while we stand and while we sing.